You may be seated. And turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. Romans 6. So I would like for someone to remind us of last week's lesson on the two ordinances and how they pertained to the life of Jesus Christ and His experiences in what did He do? He was baptized. He drank of the cup. But He drank of the cup before He was baptized. There we go. Amen. Amen. So we... Are, we have a reversal there in our lives because we, we baptize first, then we drink the cup. Let's, let's study this tonight. We will complete it tonight. So let's, let's, have a, let's have special attention here on the Bible tonight. I have a lot of verses we can look at, and uh, you probably need them. I want you to understand it. So in Romans chapter 6, verse 1, And what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. I remember, let me interrupt. I remember I tried to memorize Romans 6, 7, and 8, and I got about halfway through Romans 7. When I was in college, I tried to memorize the book of 1 Timothy. I think I got through the first three chapters, and uh, then I, I'm a quitter. Y'all didn't know you. I'm a quitter, did you? But guess what? I, 35 years ago, I still remember a lot of this. I remember this right here. God forbid, verse 2. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not? So many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death. Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. If we've been planted together in the likeness of His death, we shall be in the likeness of Raised, I think, in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is freed from sin. I need to relearn all that. Okay, so we're talking baptism. And let me think of, think about this. So, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, whenever that happened and when you placed your faith and you believed on Jesus Christ and it's like the transaction taking place it it happens you it everything starts moving one of the first things that happens is is you get baptized okay you get baptized by the spirit into the body of Christ the old man dies the old man of sin the old you that can't go to heaven. The one that's the trouble and the problem dies with Christ. Therefore, we're buried with Him by baptism unto death. And then we're raised to walk in newness of life and with Him. So it's a spirit baptism. And we don't want to confuse the two baptisms. There's many baptisms. There's actually seven. But concerning us, there's two, right? There's the, the spirit baptism, which is what happens when you get saved. It's the baptism that matters. Then you have water baptism, which pictures spirit baptism. So the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, for by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. That's how you become a Christian. That's how you get into Jesus Christ. You're baptized into His body by the Spirit. Whether Jews or Gentiles, 
whether we be bond or free, and this is it, have all been made to drink into one spirit. Now there's churches that believe that water baptism is what it's talking about. How do you drink into the spirit? Like I mentioned this Sunday, when you go under the baptismal waters, are you engulfing water as you go and drinking of the water? No, it has nothing to do with water. It says in Ephesians 4 verse 5, there's one baptism that matters. One. So you have to decide which one is the one that matters. Water baptism? You know what they always say? If you get baptized and you trust in baptism to save you, you're going to go into the baptistry a dirty sinner. You're going to come up just a little bit cleaner sinner, but you're still a dirty old sinner. Because water can't save. The rite of baptism can't save. Church of Christ teaches that the water contacts you with the blood of Christ and that's what gets you regenerated. Baptismal regeneration. This is not true at all. Faith in Christ, the Spirit baptizes you into the body of Christ and you are you drink of the Spirit and now you're saved. And it says in Galatians 3.27 that we are baptized. For as many as you have been baptized and put on Christ. Now see, so they would say you go get baptized in water, you put Jesus on. That's found in Galatians 3.27. There's a problem here. Water baptism is not even mentioned in Galatians. The whole book. Not even talked about. Because it doesn't matter. For salvation's sake. No water baptism. So here's the baptism of the believer. We become a part of Him. We're baptized into Christ. We become a part of His body. And in doing so, we died with Him on Calvary. Notice it says your old man's crucified with Him. You died with Him on Calvary. You rose from the dead with Him on Sunday morning. And you're walking in newness of life. You're, you're there. You have a new life in Christ. has nothing to do with water baptism. Colossians 3.3 3 says you're dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. So, all that said, hey, I believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. You shall be saved. He that believeth shall be saved. So, that, that said, what do I do now? I'm ready to get baptized in water now. Now it's time to get baptized. Uh, identification baptism. Remembrance. We're remembering what happened when we got saved. You know, you could honestly say, do this in remembrance of me. Just like we do the Lord's Supper. We get baptized in remembrance of Him. Turn over to 1 Peter chapter 3. Interesting verse. You know, oh... Uh, all the old good preachers that really didn't care if they made people mad in the old days or not, called them water dogs. Water dogs. Because they believed you got saved by getting in water. They believe it. They preach it. You must be baptized to be saved. Water, you know, they don't say power in the blood. They say power in the tub. <laughs> Look up their version. There's power in the tub. Power in the tub. Yeah, well, power what? 
take off a little. You know, the Bible says, well, let's look at this. First, First Peter 3, verse 20, you t- 21. You tell me what this says to you. The like figure. Now, what is a figure? Is a figure the real thing? Mm-mm. The like figure whereunto even baptism does also now save us. Uh-oh. So baptism does save us. Right? Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh. There's you getting into baptistry waters. You're trying to put away the filth of the flesh through water. But the answer of a good conscience towards God by the resurrection of Christ, because Jesus said, suffer it to be so, now it fulfilleth all righteousness. So the figure of baptism saves, not the water baptism in itself. It's a picture of the real thing. Don't ever forget that. Don't ever, if somebody asks you, why are you going to heaven? Don't ever fall to this. Well, I believed on Jesus and was baptized. Don't ever say that. You say, I believed on Jesus Christ and I was saved. Then I got baptized so I could identify with him publicly and join the church. Now, how interesting is this? So God sees your baptism at salvation. It's spiritual. He saw it happen. In fact, he not only saw it happen, he did the operation. He did the baptizing. Colossians 2.12 says it's the operation of God. It's a, it's a word. You know, if I, I baptize a lot of people in this room. Guess what? I didn't operate on you. It wasn't anything. But when you got baptized by God, it was a spiritual thing where he completely worked you over. The old man died, the new man's now alive, and you're alive with Christ forevermore. So God saw your true baptism as salvation. Men see water baptism as identification. You know, we look at it. If a, guy, if a man won't get in the baptistry, he's not saved. He's not fulfilling all righteousness. He's rebelling against the first commandment after being saved. It's your calling card to be saved. You profess in Christ publicly. So, we're baptized by immersion. Now, what does that do? It gives you eligibility to join the church. Spirit baptism puts you into the body of Christ and you're a Christian. Water baptism makes it available for you to become a church member of a local New Testament church. That's what baptism is. So I must hasten because the cup is what we want to talk about. The cup or the Lord's Supper. Notice, Jesus drank His cup and then He was baptized. We're getting baptized. Now we're going to drink the cup. So as you take the cup, like the Bible, you know, the the cup is handed to you. Take a look in there inside of it. What is it? What will you drink of when you look in that cup? Well, same thing Jesus drank of. It's called suffering. People don't like this. People don't like this at all. But, you know, here's where modern Christianity falls out and they don't want any part of it because it has too much uh, negative undertones and negative connotations to the word suffering. They look at it, oh, wait a minute, I got saved so I could be blessed. 
I got saved so I could have life. I'm precious in the sight of the Lord. I got, God's given me gifts. God blesses my life and makes me fruitful. God gives me joy. All those things are true, but that's not the cup. That is not the cup at all. They shy away from it. That's what contemporary Christianity is. Now turn over to Philippians chapter 1. They want miracles. They want gifts. They want fun. They want everybody to like them. They want to hold hands with the world and be a Christian. This is what they want. Now this is interesting. Look what Paul says in Philippians 1.29 because here's the real truth of the matter. Philippians 1.29, what does he say? He says, For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ. This is a gift, y'all. This is a gift. Not only to believe on Him, but also to what? Suffer for His name's sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. So suffering's a gift. God said, I want to give you something special, and it's a cup. And it's the cup of suffering. Why would the cup of suffering be a gift? Well, I'll tell you why. I want you to think about it, though. Number one, it's going to keep you humble. You're not going to be lifted up with pride. Number two, it's going to keep you from getting settled into this world and stagnant. That's why he said, you're having the same conflicts that you saw in me. You're going through the same thing Paul went through. You're going through the same thing Jesus went through. You're not settling in and getting uh, stagnant, comfortable. No. So the first one is it keeps you humble. The second reason it's a gift is it, it keeps you from settling in and becoming stagnant. The third reason, which is the main one, it allows a true relation in partaking of Jesus Christ. You can relate to Him. You're suffering also. He suffered. We suffered. We can talk about it. We can reminisce about it. We have like experiences. This is what we have with our God. We can identify with Him through suffering. And how amazing it is you suffer like He does. Now, turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Not 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2. Why is suffering a gift? Well, it keeps you humble. It keeps you from settling in. It keeps you from coming stagnant. It keeps you in the conflict. It keeps you moving. It keeps you fighting. It allows a true relation of partaking of Christ. And then here's, this is really something. All young men need to see this. 2 Timothy 2 verse 11 says, it's a faithful saying. If we be dead with Him, we shall also live with Him. That's baptism. Okay? If we suffer, we shall also reign with Him. You see that? If we deny Him, He also will deny us. Now, we're not going to talk about that tonight, the denial aspect of things. But what we find, that the reason why suffering is a gift is it has an end of glory for the Christian. You suffer, you're going to reign with Him. And to the extent you suffer for Christ, 
will be the extent that you reign with Him in the millennial reign of Christ and in eternity. This is a gift. A wonderful, wonderful gift. Turn over to chapter 3. Verse 12. Why is it a gift? Look what it says in verse 12. Yea, and all that live godly in Christ Jesus, all their problems are going to go away. And they're going to be rich and famous. There you go. They might be notorious. What does it say? Yea, that all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. I got to thinking about this. You know what it does? It makes heaven a lot sweeter. If, if, if earth was heavenly, and if you got saved and all your problems disappeared, you just had the time of your life every day of your life, and for one thing, you wouldn't be a very good Christian. But number two, heaven wouldn't mean that much. You're getting it on earth. So the suffering, the cup that we drink, you know, you carry that thing around with you all day. You probably got it in your hand now and you don't realize it. You might have suffered even to come to church tonight. You know, you're holding that cup. You're sipping from the cup of suffering. Shall not the cup which my Father given me, shall I not drink of it? Here, turn over to Romans chapter 8. Now why is it a gift? What a wonderful gift it is. We shy away from that which is, becomes our great, our, uh, our great gift. Now, look at this. Romans 8, verse 17. And if children, which we are children because we got baptized by the Spirit, then heirs, heirs of God, join heirs with Christ. See, there's your glory of reigning. You're a joint heir with Christ. You're going to live in heaven with Him and own what He does. If so be that we suffer with Him, that we may be also glorified together. Oh boy. Here's the gift. Verse 18, which I, I would say memorize this one, which we had in the old days. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are just too much for me. I can't take it. i got to quit. No. I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are what? Not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. You know, if you could look at your sufferings now, oh my, they're, they're hard. I can't take it. But if you could look at it from the other side, you'd go, what sufferings? What are you talking about? This is too good up here right now. I don't need to even think about what took place down on earth. Heaven's too glorious. I don't... You know, that's what it's going to be like. It's not even worthy to make the comparison, but we still try to do it. Turn over to Acts chapter 3. Keeping y'all awake by making you flip through your Bible. Boy, what a great tactic that is. All right, Acts chapter 3, verse 18. What does it say here? It says, But those things which God before has showed by the mouth of all His prophets, what? That Christ should suffer. He hath fulfilled. Or so fulfilled. So all the prophets said, Jesus is going to have to suffer. Now look over at chapter 5. Verse 41. This is after disciples have been beaten greatly for preaching the gospel. They all got beat. They got thrown in jail and they got beaten. Anybody had that happen yet? 
I've come close a couple of times. Look at verse 41. And they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing because they all got a big offering, big financial benefit. Yeah. Because they were all counted worthy to suffer shame for His name. And they rejoiced over it. How wonderful it is. Suffering. You know, the, the cup. The cup of suffering. Turn to First turn to Thessalonians 3. You know, there's more about suffering in the, in the New Testament for us than just about any other doctrine. So when I started studying this, I thought, oh, I'll just show them a few verses and yell at them a while. No. Let's look at it. 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 4. You know, the Thessalonians, what marks them as unique, they suffered. They, were, they suffered persecution. They suffered financial loss. Everybody hated them because they became a Christian. People didn't understand. you got to understand, these were pagans before this. Look at verse 4. For verily when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation, even as it came to pass, and you know. It's just First Thessalonians 3, verse 4. Think about this. He was with them. He told them how to be saved. You know what He told them? Your life's fixing to blossom like a rose garden. No, you know what He told them? Get ready to suffer. Some hard things are coming your way. Servant's not above his master. Christ suffered. Get ready to suffer. So he left them because he was a missionary. He had to go somewhere else. They started suffering. They didn't understand it. They thought, what's going on here? I think we missed the rapture or something and the tribulation period starting. I'm serious. That's what they thought. This is crazy. So he's telling them, I told you you're going to suffer. I warned you. Now turn over to 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 5. Or let's look at verse 4. It says, So that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your, what? All your raises and all the friends you're making. No! And all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. Why? It's a man. Look at verse five. It's a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God that you were counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you have suffered. He says you're worthy of this. You get to suffer for me. So that's what it's a it's a gift. And my, when you suffer, you can you can go back. You can go to the Lord, and He said, "I know exactly what I can relate to you." I did it too. So let me say something about okay suffering. How would you, how would you describe suffering? Now it could be physical pain, could be emotional pain, could be some psychological struggles. It could even be spiritually. You're struggling in the flesh because you started a war when you got saved. Suffering means to experience a sensation. 
not a good one either. You know what it really means? It's an impression is, that is made on you that remains. You know, some people, I, I'm this way. You know, if I were to take my fingernail and push it into my hand, my arm right here for, for five minutes, that, that mark's going to stay in me for a good while. An impression was made. And it wasn't because it felt good either. It's because I was pushing pretty hard. And my fingernail dug into my hand. That's what suffering is. I can remember when we used to build fence in the hill country. You, you didn't, a truck would not help you. You had to carry the fencing up the hill. And we'd put it on poles. And we'd carry it on our shoulders. And by the time I got through, by the end of the day, my shoulders were black and blue. Boy, it made, a, it made an impression. The, 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 the bruises were so, they were there the whole time I worked on the fence. That suffering, oh my, did we suffer too. We suffered greatly to, to build that fence. Nothing like this though. There's no suffering like the sufferings for Christ. You know what it is? To have a passion for something, but it's a hurting passion. It's a passion that hurts to where you're vexed. Have you ever said, I'm just really vexed? You know, we don't use that term very often, but it happens more than you think. We use other words, but you, when next time you're suffering in the flesh or in the, or in the spirit or emotionally, you should use this, I'm very vexed right now. I'm going through some sufferings. So to suffer is a present ongoing thing. I'm suffering. Sufferings are things that happened in the past, hardships. Okay, the word passion. Think about that word. It goes with suffering. Uh, you know what it was originally defined as? Passion. It was originally defined as suffering the agony of a martyr, somebody who's about to be killed for their faith. Passion. You know that worldly movie, Passion of the Christ. What was it made to show that he suffered greatly when he died? I only watched that show one time. It made me real mad because it was made by a bunch of Catholics who hate the Jews. Really, it was. They didn't understand God's plan of, of redemption and how Israel... They, see, the Catholic Church believes that the church replaced Israel and that we get the cut. We don't. We're not them that they get the covenants and the blessings that God promised to Israel. No, they do not. They get none of it. But the passion, passion plays. You know, people used to have those a lot. I don't know if they do them anymore. Passion plays during Easter. They're going to be having them though. To show that what Jesus went through when he died on the cross, the sufferings that he endured. That's why he told the disciples, Lord, no, they said, they said to him, we're able. We're able. He said, are you able to drink of the cup that I drink of and to be baptized of the baptism that I baptize with? Are you able for real? You think you're able? They said, Lord, we are able. Like it says in the verse of the, the song, there's sturdy dreamers. Yeah. And he said, yes, you will. Because you're one of mine. You will drink my cup. Now, I want to show you. We have a few minutes. Turn over to First Peter. Chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2, and I want to reveal something to you here. 
And look at this. So Peter is writing to those uh, that are in they're strangers, all scattered all over the Romans Empire, but but it's to it's to Jews that are saved. And look what it says in chapter two. We're just going to go through this quickly. Verse 19. For this is thankworthy. If a man for conscience towards God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. That's that's part of the cup right there. Conscience say he's towards God, he's going to suffer great grief. Why? He's suffering wrongfully. Look at verse 20. For what glory is it if when you be buffeted for your faults, you take it? You know, if you did something wrong and you're going to sit there and take the punishment, you did it to yourself. There's no glory really in that. You're suffering for punishment for what you did wrong. But when you're doing when you're suffering punishment for doing right, then you can take you say, I'm patient about it. it. Says, but if you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even here and too were you called. Do you see that? God called us to do this, and it's a gift. Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in His steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile find in His mouth. Have you seen how many times the word suffering is being used? Look at verse 23. Who, when He was reviled, He reviled not again. When He suffered, He threatened not, but committed Himself to Him that judgeth righteously. Look how many times it's mentioned. Look at chapter 3. You talk about a theme here. Look at verse 14. But, and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye. Wow. When's the last time you said, I'm really glad you're suffering a lot? You must be really, really happy. We look at it wrong. And be not afraid of their terror, neither. Be troubled. Look at verse 17. For it is better if the will of God be so that ye suffer for well-doing. See that? Then for evil-doing. But you're going to suffer one way or the other. Look at verse 18. For Christ, this is a famous verse by the way, for Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being quickened, by the Spirit. Chapter 4, verse 1. For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh. Wow. See that? He suffered. Arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Do you realize your sufferings in the flesh as a Christian keep you from sinning? It helps you keep your life purged up. And, and Peter says, hey, I'm glad for you that you're suffering. Happy are ye. Why? You're going to reign with Christ. You're going to reign with Him. Look at verse 13. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings. You see that? There it is. It's all throughout the whole Bible. That when His glory shall be revealed, ye shall be glad also with exceeding joy. Glad day. Glad day. Because that's the day. It's crowning day then. It ain't crowning day now. It's cross-bearing day. 
prospering, suffering day. All throughout the book of Peter. Look at verse 19. Wherefore let them that suffer, there we are, according to the will of God, commit the keeping of their souls to Him in well-doing as unto a faithful Creator. We have a little time. Look, oh, look at chapter 5, verse 1. The elders which are among you I exhort, who also am an elder. This is Peter talking. He says, I'm an elder. Guess what? I am a witness of the sufferings of Christ. He was an eyewitness. He saw the things Jesus went through. And also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. One more to finish off. And then we got a bunch more after that. Now, one more here. Look what it says in chapter 5 and verse 10. But the God of all grace who hath called us into His eternal glory. You believe that? Eternal glory God called you. That's a gift, isn't it? By Christ Jesus. After you what? Had it made in the shade and lived the dream life. I reckon not. After you suffered a while. Make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. Paul said in Colossians 1.21, he said, I'm behind in my sufferings. I'm falling behind. Paul said that of all people. I'm suffering here and I'm falling behind. And I need to suffer some more. Now, I, I, need, to I, need, to, I need to quit. Psalm 16.5, he says, The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance and of my cup. He is my cup. He's my portion. I'm drinking of Him. I'm drinking of His very sufferings. So let me summarize by saying, the cup is not death. The baptism was the death. It's the suffering we will endure while doing the will of God. You'll suffer greatly to do it. You know what it's like though? It's like a pre-drink before the glory drink. Remember Jesus said, I'll drink it anew with you in the kingdom. Can you imagine the heavenly drink that we're going to drink in heaven with Him in the kingdom, what it's going to taste like? Mm -hmm. But I mean, compared to the greatest grape juice the world ever offered, how wonderful it's going to be. Suffering is like a pre-drink on the way to glory. So when you suffer, that's why we take the Lord's Supper, we remember and show His death because we're suffering with Him. Drinking of His cup. Oh my, the, uh, the identification and the relation, you just, you can't, you can't, you can't imagine. So when James and John drank of that cup, it's the same cup Jesus drank from. You're drinking of the same cup. He didn't give us all one. He said, drink ye all of it, all from it. He handed it to them. They all took a drink. You know, we use a little, little mini little cups because we're worried about germs and Trans, you know, we're worried about swapping saliva and germs. Now, but back then, take the cup and drink of it. True fellowship and closeness is when you can drink from the same cup. You know, I know some married people, they will not drink from the same cup. There's no way. You're, drinking, you're not drinking out of my cup. Anybody in here that way? Got some people, they'll drink out of anybody's cup. They just go around drinking out of people's drinks. 
True fellowship and true oneness and true trust is when you can drink somebody's cup and they won't get too mad at you or you won't be worried that they contaminated you. Jesus said, I'll drink it with you. So think about this. You know, maybe you can see it all in a new light. When we take the Lord's Supper next time, it helps you appreciate it just a little bit more what we... Uh, yeah, we endure it, but it, Jesus, like he said, happy are ye. Happy, happy are ye. Glad day. I got to suffer a little bit today. Boy, it was a good day, man. I suffered greatly. I struggled. I was in anguish. I fought the devil, and he was hitting me hard. My spirit, my, my body was lazy. I had a bad attitude. People at work were giving me trouble. My car didn't work. I read the Bible, didn't get a thing out of it. Man, I struggled today. It was a great day. Hey, I'm good. Glad day. Glad day. All right. All right. We can quit. Let's pray.